Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, welcome to the 316th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by Lila London. Madison Witten and Greg C. Bolanos, all of whom are patrons. Thanks, guys. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are doing another catch up episode. Just Matt and myself talking about things. I have some updates on my audio podcast, scripted podcast project that I was going to tell Matt about, maybe ask him some questions about and then we're going to find out what's happening in Matt's my neck of the woods so yeah so let's let's chat about things do you want to ask me what I've been up to lately <sighs> sure I guess you'll go first Oren I've been dying to know what have you what's what have you been working on lately some of our longtime listeners will know that I've been working on this scripted podcast project it was a tv show that my friend Julie and I came up with and we developed and then we realized hey you know how we can get this made well there's a few ways you can try to attach a a big you know production company and producer you can try to get a famous person to be in the show uh or you can make some sort of proof of concept and at the time julie and i were both really you know binging these true crime podcasts and i have a podcast i don't know if you know it's about filmmaking screenwriting and directing and i felt like it was just so easy for us to make it and scripted podcasts were just starting up. And so we decided, why don't we like get inspired by serial and, you know, those true crime podcasts and take the mystery from our TV show and build it into a podcast, make that, get it popular, get people to love it. And then obviously and then turn it TV into show. a TV show. Yeah. So we made it and then COVID happened, of course. And you know, it, it came out, okay, definitely some things work better than others and whatnot, but as a proof of concept, it was pretty cool, and we made this deck and everything. Those listeners that have been tuning into every episode know that someone at Audible got a hold of it kind of recently, and they said to us, this is awesome. It's like this kind of YA fantasy story about this girl that is trying to solve a murder in her town, and in doing so, uncovers this fantastical world and how she's all tied into it. Kind of like true blood meets, um, serial, but narrated by a teenager and like a, very much like a YA, like 13 reasons why type of audience that would like it. Really 13 reasons why meets true blood. That is a good comp too, except it's a podcast. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Which is why the serial. And, and also there is like, originally we were very inspired by that true crime format, you know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Uh, almost like, you know, I, I was obsessed with the daily, uh, the New York Times podcast, 
And so I just, I loved the texture of the audio there, especially when they were like going places and recording things. And I really wanted to, to do it like that, to find an actor. And instead of having everyone record in a sound booth, take the actor and have them go with me to the other actors' houses and to relocations. And they just kind of try to give it a, the texture of the real world. Anyhow, we ended up not doing that because obviously that's quite difficult. Huge pain in the butt. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. We did some things. We did, like, there's a scene where there's, like, dogs in the house. And, like, we riled up my dogs. And we did a lot of stuff. Like, you know, you kind of stand 20 feet away from the mic and yell type of thing. And we also, we recorded some, a scene in a car, like while we were driving, which was actually quite difficult because, you know, you need to get room tone of the car and it changes quite a lot depending on where you are and if the windows are open or closed or whatever. Anyhow, long story short, this guy at Audible was like, hey, the way we can get this to pop is if you said that this was from like the producers of Twilight or something. And of course, Julie and I were like, well, how do we do that? And he said, well, I know the producers of Twilight. I'll introduce you. So the past few weeks, we've been developing the concept with one of the, the people from Temple Hill, which is the publishers of Twilight and also The Hate You Give and Love, Simon and The Maze Runner and all this, this great genre YA stuff. And, you know, they really wanted us to maybe make it into a novel, but we were really, you know, my, I get excited from working with actors and the sound design and the editing and all that stuff. So we were really pushing more towards the audio world of it all. And so we developed it, you know, as this multi-part show. So we got to this part and the guy's like, look, we've developed this. We're interested. We're going to bring this to Audible, you know, with you as your partners from the producers of Twilight, The Girl with Wings, that's our show, as an Audible audio book show thing. But we have not signed any paperwork, you know, at this point. We've just been talking and talking and developing. We have meetings every week and working on the story and working on the deck and we get notes from them and we're and our guy was like, dude, we got to we got to figure do the business side you know, of things. I'm going to send you this boilerplate contract that is what we have with all our writers for Audible and, you know, read it, look it over. Let me know if you want me to talk to your reps or to you or what you want to do, like if you have any notes and we'll figure it out. And so that's where we are. That happened today. And so there are a couple interesting things about the contract which I wanted to bring up. So first of all, there's no mention of specific dollar amounts. It's not like they are, it's not like the publisher Temple Hill is offering Julie and me money to write the show. Audible is going to pay the money for this. So Audible is going to pay so, Temple Hill. <clears throat> Sorry, back, backing up a touch. Is it a shopping agreement then? Is it a development agreement? What's the framework we're looking at here? It's, a, it's basically hiring us as writers for this show that will be pitched to Audible. And he does mention in the email to us when he sent us this project that basically this is for Audible. Like Audible is who set us up. This is kind of made for them. They have an overall deal with Audible. So it's less of a shopping agreement and more of a let's make a deal between us before we make a deal with Audible. The deal is a 50% split of the money that comes from Audible, of the gross profits, you know, which I guess is like the every, each dollar that Audible gives Temple sure. Hill. And who knows how that works with all the other projects that Temple Hill has with Audible. Mm -hmm. And Temple Hill owning the copyright on the project. 
which obviously does not sound super kosher. There's no NDA because no one, like Julie and I own everything at this point. You know, it's our project, it's our pitch, it's our deck, it's our, and we've developed it in good Well, but the way that a company does business is sort of, or or whatever trade secrets they have of like, okay, well, this is how we market it, or this is how we take it out to to market or whatever. That stuff is, sometimes people will make you sign an NDA and that's not especially weird. Like the reason I'm bringing this up here on the podcast is because I believe that so many of our listeners, whether they are WGA members selling studio films, like their first studio film, or just two friends making a short together, like are in this situation all the time, which is how do we split the money that we're making on this? And who owns this if something happens with it in the future? And the third thing, which is always the sticky one, is like, what if someone more exciting wants to be involved in this project and we have to push you out? Sure, sure. Then what? Um, And I think that you and I have both been in all of those scenarios at one point in our careers, right? Top level, it's good to paper things, even if it's literally just like between two friends. It's worth it to literally write it down in black and white so that the terms are very clear. And uh, that'll save friendships in a very true and real way. Yeah, it's so you hard, know, though. I mean, everyone it's always it's says hard. that. Like, Julie and I have no written agreement. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've always, and it's not our first project. Either. We've worked on so many projects together, and it's always kind of a 50-50 split. And the truth is, she does more of the like hands-on hey, writing. Yeah, like she, yeah. She's more in final draft or well, whatever. Well, uh, do as Oren says, not as he does, because <laughs> I think it, it, I think it's worth it to just say like, Hey, it's 50, 50. We're a partner partnership. And I think that like, even in an email, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but explicit, spell it out. And you can preface it with like, Hey, no one wants to do this. This is ugly and gross and weird, but I think it'll make it us both feel better and we'll just have clear terms so that no one's feeling taken advantage of or worried about bringing it up when it's really important to get it taken care of early. I tend to believe that unless it's a truly, truly gross imbalance, 50 50 is the way to go. Right. Between like writing partners, between writing partners. Yeah. Yeah, And I think we have a good balance. I think she, She's a little more hands-on with the writing. We develop everything together. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little more hands-on with the business side of like getting people to see our things and right. pitching Which and, is, and all the visuals and stuff. It's a good example of like hard versus soft skills, right? Like there were things that are very easily quantified. Like, okay, how many words did some so-and-so type or whatever? How many emails did someone send? But like it's harder to quantify the number of connections someone has that they're bringing to the table or whatever. So like if it's not an equitable split, then maybe it's not a good partnership in the first place. That's kind of blanket statements, you know, uh, whatever, take it as you see fit. And also it's good to then clarify what is important and what are deal breakers for people, because sometimes those aren't as clear as they you'd think they'd be anyway. More specifically, if you are in a situation where you're in a like a quote unquote Hollywood sort of deal and vibe, it is always surprising to me how late in the game contracts come in and then also how friggin' long they take. Mm-hmm. I've had multiple projects die because that truly more than like maybe three or four 
died because lawyers the time did, the didn't finish getting it done. <laughs> the company the, doesn't exist. The company doesn't <laughs> exist or the executive got fired. Those are two things that happen all the time. It's so crazy. I mean, that, that's like probably more common than, than the other story. The I mean, for me, it is at least. Jeez Louise. But so having your lawyer look it over is probably going to be helpful. It's probably going to slow things down. The important thing is like in good faith, right, is the term that people use. Mm-hmm. And that means basically we're going to keep working and the lawyers are going to figure it out. And we're going to work in good faith because we both agree that we're going to reconcile this somehow. Well, so let me tell you what the issue is, because I think this will be applicable to many of our listeners. I do have a lawyer. He's not involved at all with any of my commercial stuff Mm -hmm. and even my small things. Like he's really like my big project. Like if I got a a, stuff like this, basically. Yeah. But this is not even I mean, long story short, I haven't talked to him for like two years, mm-hmm. you know, so for me to contact him to look at this contract that has zero dollars attached to it mm-hmm. to negotiate for me, I, I could see him not responding to my email, mm-hmm. uh, I, which, you know, is not cool to say. And I have obviously commercial reps. I've recently uh, left the, my manager. And so I can reach out to my lawyer, which I do not feel super comfortable doing. Uh, he's kind of like a high level Hollywood lawyer that makes million dollar deals. And even all my stuff that I've done for Disney Channel and stuff recently, like he just puts some like very low level lawyer on, which I wouldn't mind either. But I feel like at some point they're going to be like, you know, Orrin, we got to make money <laughs> off of you. We're on all these phone calls and doing all these things. So because this is like, there's no money attached to this yet. I feel like I don't want to engage with them yet. I have like, you know, my wife has a lawyer. There's some other lawyers I can talk to or potential managers and things. But what's weird is this isn't like, this is a deal to make a deal. I'm a little unsure. Like I want to, like, what would you do if you didn't have a lawyer? Would you go spend your own money on a lawyer to do this? Would you spend 500 bucks or however much Potentially, potentially, to a lawyer's time. And on top of that, like, I guess, you know, there's the money thing, but the ownership is what I'm really curious to know what you think. Because at the end of the day, we're going to be doing most of the work, the hard work, the writing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so to completely give up the ownership, and it's not a concept that we. It's it's not completely giving it, it's 50%. Yeah. No. In the boilerplate, it's not 50%. It's 50% of the. Uh, money oh, from see. the show but the copyright so if it was 50 percent, i think that's mm-hmm. fair because what we get in return is like this super the perfect company to work with on this you know the, the make yeah. the, the, the ya boy people. this is rough because this is literally exactly why managers and lawyers and agents <laughs> are involved yeah this is the thing that they are the best at you know there's that old saying 50 percent of zero is zero Right. Right. And so oftentimes, especially when I was younger, I wouldn't sweat it too hard. You know, I'd be like, well, let's just get the thing made and then I'll make money on the next one. And I think that the idea behind that sentiment, I think, is still strong of just like, I don't want to waste time messing around for so long that the project loses steam because momentum is so hard to come by. 
You know, it's so hard. Things take so much time when you're in the system. The momentum is kind of the most important thing, you know, and if it takes six months for this thing to get papered, truly, you know, best case scenario is that the person you're working with is still interested. They could be fired. The company cannot exist. They could find something hotter that's in the exact same vertical as yours. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of me that's like, just, just get on with it. You know, 100% ownership is, is a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. And, and for full transparency, I mean, we do have, we also have a producer on this that, Mm -hmm. you know, helped us make the podcast and develop it before this whole audible thing. And he does have a lawyer. Like we, I have access to lawyers and things, but I still think as an exercise to discuss this, it's interesting to talk about ownership. If it were me, I have lawyers that I pay on an hourly basis for stuff like this. And then I have my big fancy lawyers that I go to for when I have the big deals and look, to be honest, I emailed them just recently and they were like, Oh, we thought you'd moved on. (laughs) Yeah. And I made a movie in between. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But you used your less expensive lawyers. I I used that. Yeah. Well, not less expensive. They build differently. They build differently. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones are, I think more expensive, but you can't pay them out of pocket. It comes out of the deal. Right. Yeah. That's why the deal has to be a big deal for it to be worth their time. Right. And the thing with this, within any like scripted podcast audio project, I mean, there's no way those things make any money, right? Like the budget of a podcast must be so, so low. So if you're a company like Temple Hill, like Apple, like Netflix, like all these people that are making scripted podcasts now, I'm guessing that the reason you're making this podcast is to create your IP. It's an investment, right? It's an inv- yeah. it's, it's basically like a development deal, you know, like everyone wants their podcast to turn into homecoming. And so of course they want ownership like that. I, I totally understand that, but you know, it's our concept. And the whole reason I told that long story about the origin of this thing is because we wanted to make the podcast to make a TV show. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to make a podcast to then lose it to someone else making the TV show of our show and i'm sure there's some like created by credit that we'll always get but we we don't want to be cut out of it yeah so i think you loop in your fancy lawyers and you say hey here's the deal i don't want this to get slowed down but i also can't give it away a hundred percent which is what they're asking for let's figure this out really quickly and not make it a crazy thing and by the way i just saw this today it's like their kind of standard deal like Mm -hmm. But but I think you can call the shots and be like, I I want to keep working in good faith. Right. Don't screw this up. I think it's okay to say. Yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So anyway, it's... In a way, there's it's exciting that a company wants to thinks your idea is good enough that they want you to sign it over to them, mm-hmm. which I know sounds weird from someone who's like been living and working here in Hollywood for 15 years, because I feel like most new filmmakers come and someone's interested in their project. And they're like, oh, yeah, you think I'm going to give you the right mm-hmm. to like don't steal my idea. Yeah. 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 Um, what I've learned the hard way is that like if someone is super passionate about your idea, that's. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's, the, that's literally the best news. Yeah. And if, if that person has wield some sort of experience and power and connections in the business, that's even better. So overall, I think it's a really good thing. I think the starting point of where we're negotiating from is like quite far from where we want to be, because at this point, it does not seem like there's a ton of money in this medium, but it's like a great place to tell great stories and develop ideas. And so... Hopefully it's step one to like a much richer, cooler thing. So yeah, I don't know that I, I have an answer, but if, if you were in my shoes and you have been in my shoes, like you, and it's your concept, like you wouldn't give up ownership of a concept, right? Like when you've pitched your shows and companies have been interested and you've had things optioned and whatnot, like you well, never gave it up a hundred percent. Yeah. But an option is different, right? Because they're, they're paying you. Right, right. Right. So created by credit, participation, all of that stuff is negotiated for sure. And maybe that's part of this contract as well. But they're buying my idea. Every once in a while, it would be something where they'd be like, hey, we want like a shopping agreement or whatever. But the difference between TV and podcasts is there are just more companies in the game. Right. We're really talking about Audible, Spotify, Apple. In terms of people that would pay substantial money, that, that to, have a business the, model that's built around audio. Podcasts, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So so it's a little bit different or it's like, okay, like we're going to take this TV show out. We have a shopping agreement that has a finite amount of time, essentially one pitching season, and then it's 100% yours again is how my deals were almost always structured for better or for worse. And And to be fair, though, once or twice, we ended up taking it back out and selling it again. Right. So the, those windows were valuable. Like if it had been, you know, something where a company had it in perpetuity, you know, mm-hmm. I would have thousands of dollars less. 
and as the, the same number of TV shows, but, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> right. I get the impression that the contract, like I said, they kind of sent us their standard contract is the same one they give people that they're like, hey, we ha- own this book and we want someone to adapt it to a podcast. Well, you mm-hmm. do it. Here's mm-hmm. the contract. Mm-hmm. It feels like that type of contract. Yeah. So which is I think it's OK. Let the lawyers deal with it. Hey, guys, I would love to keep working in good faith. Send this over to my lawyer and we'll hash it out. That's what I would say. Yeah. And you would put you would spend the money on the lawyer. Yes. Yes. Even though there is a chance that all of this leads to zero dollars. Uh, or and I know how badly you love tax write offs. I do like a, a good tax write-off, but uh, I don't like spending money on things that, I, I don't know, maybe I do. This is one, this is frankly, listeners at home, I want you to understand <laughs> that Oren's like, listen, you spent so much money on, on a computer, you should buy, you should max out the RAM on your computer or whatever dumb thing. Listeners, pay your lawyers. To cover your asses. It's like find a lawyer, then convince them to do this job, then pay them as little as you possibly can. Get get a lawyer and cover your ass on this stuff. That is frankly more valuable advice than buy a good computer. And Orin, you have no problem buying a good computer. I mean as good as. I'll I'll settle for settle for as good as. Okay. Part of our jobs, and we don't really talk about it ever, is development. Then Paying for a lawyer or or lawyering up in some way, whether you're paying them or not, is is an intrinsic part of it. Yeah. And frankly, a sign of success. One other interesting detail is that this deal is just a writing deal. It's basically write the show and then Audible will produce it. And I was like, well, I want to produce it. You know, I, I want to mm-hmm. direct the actors. I want to be involved. Our person was like, yeah, I mean, we can talk about trying to carve that out for you or giving you some Mm -hmm. sort of ability to interact with the talent. But it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's a weird thing. It's like going from like, Hey, we're making this podcast in my living room Mm -hmm. to like, you might, if you're lucky get to talk to the actors. Yeah. I mean, I think that the likelihood that you will be able to talk to the actors is quite high. Yeah. I would put it at a hundred percent likely. However, (laughs) the more expensive the project is, the less likely that becomes right so like tv shows and things like that like you know depending on your experience it's hard to sell a tv show without like a ton of experience already so that doesn't totally hold true but like you know matt you don't think 316 episodes of a podcast (laughs) makes me experienced enough to make a podcast no that's what i'm saying you're 100 experienced enough to make a podcast but i'm saying like if you somehow wrote an incredible pilot that then became like a network TV show, would you be the showrunner on it or would you be, you know, a consulting producer on it? Right. No, maybe I wouldn't be the showrunner, but this is an audio project. It's just so much smaller. I'm saying because it's nice and small, 100% likely you will be able to. And I don't mind if somebody else is worried about the music and the sound design and the engineering. The engineering is the biggest thing, you know. Though, I'll say this, the trick, and I think we've learned this on the podcast many, many times and also just in our personal lives and talking to friends, just become indispensable and then there's not a question. Yep, just be the linchpin. Yeah, true. Great book by Seth Godin. You probably endorsed it like on episode five. <laughs> Anyhow, I would love to know, Matt, 
what you've been working on lately. Yeah, you know, so avid listeners or even casual ones at this point would know that Oren and I have a standing bet. Oren is betting against me shooting a feature film this year. Things are going well. We put together cast lists, some exciting people out there. But the thing that I wanted to bring up is that I was feeling really great about the screenplay, some great table reads, a lot of positive feedback, some stuff to tweak here and there. I decided to start workshopping scene by scene the film in Sandbox, which is a local workshop that we've talked about on the show. A bunch of friends have been working on it for years. My wife was a pretty big part of it for a long time. And it basically what it is is a system by which a handful of directors will put up scenes and then everyone will note those scenes and rinse and repeat basically on a monthly basis or a weekly basis, month by month. And I hadn't really done it before. I'd participated in a lot of different ways, but I hadn't really put up scenes. And you just do one scene? You, It's up to the director. You get about 45 minutes and... There's kind of a standard format for the way that it works, which I guess is worth talking about, where basically people will run the scene. The actors will leave the room. Everyone will kind of discuss the scene. The director will at the top explain, oh, I'm looking for writing notes. Oh, I'm looking for directing notes or oh, I'm looking for both. They'll get some notes. They'll bring the actors back in. They'll kind of privately discuss those notes as the directors chit chat or whatever the the audience chit chats and then they run it a couple times basically rinse and repeat in that formation wait and sorry did you say the actors get the script ahead of time or no actors get the script ahead of time it's kind of up to the director to like get it to them in enough time and, and it's you also cast, like you, you cast who how do you whomever. know who your actors are you, you cast them. It's your responsibility to bring them in. So you, you'll you kind of be on an email thread with everyone else and you can be like, hey, you know, I'm looking for so-and-so. Is anyone else bringing in someone who matches this? You can do that. Or you could be like, hey, I'm bringing these people in. They'd be happy to read or, or whatever. I kind of asked two smart friends who are very good actors but aren't exactly the roles because I was looking for just two more workshop participants basically who are in it for the love of the game which has been really great actually uh and also with the intent of keeping them consistent week to week basically so that the same people are saying playing the same characters and so there's a little bit of letting them sort of evolve the ideas but what's fascinating you know and this is an obvious thing to say but bears repeating as soon as you get something up on its feet no matter how confident you are you see opportunities to improve it. And that's really the reason I bring it up, frankly, is like workshop your scenes, everyone. Was this done over Zoom? Uh, we did it in person, actually. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun. And you know what's interesting also immediately forces you to examine your own process. Because the way that they tend to run things, not that anyone's telling you how to run your your 45 minutes, but they tend to run it top to tail and then kind of go from there, basically. And I realized immediately that if it were on set, I would be starting and stopping actors on a line by line, if not not word by word, but sentiment by sentiment basis. Because I hadn't had a chance to do any script analysis with them to be like, okay, hey, so you know, this is what I mean by this. This is what I mean by that. This is the thought behind this. This is the subtext of that. And they hadn't read the whole screenplay. So like, there's a lot of like, you know, it's a plotty enough thing to be like, oh, this is referencing two scenes ago or whatever. Right. How did you choose which scene to to put up? 
I picked scenes that I was getting notes on, basically, where people were like, hey, for whatever reason, this one bumps for me. Oh, um, interesting. You didn't pick like a scene that you felt super confident in. No, 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 no. Because the idea is that I want it to get I want to make the movie as good as possible. So you pick apart the weakest links, which in this film tend to be a little bit more utility. You know, like it's more like we're getting between set pieces, basically. And there's a lot of story and like mileage that has to be covered. And so this circumstance, basically, the movie has like kind of a supernatural element and the characters are surprised by it. And so this is the moment where they kind of are up to speed with the audience now. Like the rules are set of like, oh, no, there's a monster after us. But like the process of getting characters to understand fantastical circumstances is really fraught because I, as an audience member, am always really annoyed when Harry Potter spends half a movie not realizing that he lives in a magical world when we know that he's in a magical world. And this is, you know, movie number four of him going to a magic school, you know. Like my my favorite example is like, I don't know how well you know those Harry Potter films, but there's one where he goes to basically the Magic World Cup and he steps into a tent and the tent is way, way, way bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And he goes, I love magic. (laughs) And I'm like, bro, you've been going to magic school for three years. So that that's my pet peeve is like, if we know you're in a monster movie, like once you learn, oh, no, there's a monster that's going to get us catch up. Right. And I realized that maybe that beat is rushed a little bit. So getting it on its feet helped me sort of figure that out. I know this is all very specific and I apologize for the indulgence, everyone. But the point is, is that there were things that a filmmaker, their own quirks or their own pet peeves or their own things that as soon as you get it in front of an audience, even if it's an audience of peers who are in a place of understanding and openness, you immediately feel the white hot embarrassment and shame of Mm -hmm. overlooking something you know what i mean and which is the thing you need to be sprinting towards like learning those things in a safe environment what it's an incredible gift and also i do think that there is an elevated nervousness and or anxiety that comes out of not so much the directing of it, but the writing. Truly, right? I have not felt so nervous about my own work in like a decade or two. I pitched a lot. I've done, you know, I've been on panel. Like, there's a lot of circumstances where I think people normally get a little nervous. And like, I get a little bit nervous. You know, I get a normal amount nervous in a healthy way, in a good way, you know, because it's just the craft. And so I guess, look, I've talked about this before, but I think that like building those communities and circumstances for yourself, whether that's a table read over Zoom or, you know, whatever else, I think an in-person reading or in-person workshop experience, I think is really, really, really valuable to just teaching you about yourself as an artist and your work and just figuring it out and making it better. And the faster you can sprint towards those mistakes in a safe environment the better sandbox la they're always looking for members sandbox.la check it out if you're in los angeles cool well anything else you want to talk about or should we endorse some things i think we can hop into endorsements unpaid endorsements so Oren, yes. have you bothered to follow up on my previous unpaid endorsement no do you recall during the pandemic david lynch 
yes, the David Lynch, picked up his old YouTube habit of doing the daily weather report. Years and years and years ago, he would do this on YouTube. He would be like, hello, Los Angeles. It's a sunny 98 degrees. Anyway, in the pandemic, he started doing it again. Yeah, and it truly, I truly love it. He'll let us know that it's 5 a.m. here in Los Angeles, golden sunshine all along the way. Have a great day. But he would oftentimes talk about a song that he's been thinking about. And some wonderful person makes a, a real time updated David Lynch weather report playlist on Spotify. And so and if he's you, doing this. Is he still doing it? He's still doing it. He's still doing it. So you can listen to what essentially feels like a curated long-term playlist, a mixtape, if you will, that David Lynch has made for you. And so that is my endorsement. The Weather Report, David Lynch's Weather Report playlist on Spotify is great. It's you know look it veers a little older. It's like either kind of like strange classics from the fifties and sixties, and then like what he was into in the nineties and maybe early two thousands. I would mm-hmm. be surprised if there's a song from twenty ten or newer. But look, man, it's David Lynch. That's that's the deal. Cool. So that's my endorsement. Fun to write to. Fun to listen to. And just imagine. An elderly gray haired man with uh, his shirt buttoned all the way up to the top. Well, before that was cool talking to you about the weather. Okay. I got two. They're for audiences on opposite ends of the spectrum. The first one is it's a hack. A lot of people might know about it, but if you're traveling with a baby on an airplane, if they're under the age of two, I'm sure you parents out there know that you do not have to pay for an airplane seat for your baby. They can sit on your lap and they can fly for free. Let me ask an important follow-up question though. Yeah. Does that suck? Yes, indeed. But does that save you $700 or however Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. it costs to fly to Maui? Uh, Yes, it does. A lot of people will like go on some big trip, you know, when their baby is like a year and 11 months old so that they can fly for free because that's pretty much when they can stop flying for free. But yes, they do not get a seat when they fly for free. And also you do have to prove their age. You have to bring your baby's birth certificate to the airport to prove that they are under two. Now, if you, this is the hack, if you have a car seat, basically go to the gate, take it with you to the gate and ask the gate person if there's any open seats on the airplane. And if they are, there's a really good chance that they will let you bring your car seat on and put the car seat in an open seat. And then you get a free flight for your baby. And you don't have to suffer through trying to keep them on your lap for seven hours or however long they're holding you on the runway because of some mechanical failure. Um, so that's my hack for parents. And now my hack for students, you know, which I think a lot of parents are students, but also potentially you fall in one or the other camp if you're a listener to this podcast. Um, Maxon is a company that makes Cinema 4D, uh, and they also bought Red Giant. And if you Google Maxon student discount, you can get every single product that Maxon and Red Giant make for $2.99 for six months. Uh, so it's, it's 
pretty amazing. I mean, Cinema 4D and Redshift, the render and all the 3D stuff is incredible. If you've never used it before, you can get it pretty much for free and learn online. And it's, I mean, it, you know, it's like Hollywood level stuff you can do with it. And especially like titles and graphics and things like that. Um, and then the red giant stuff, it's like all the trap code plugins for after effects and for premiere, like particles and all these things, magic bullet looks. If you want to just kind of up your, you know, home editing system game with cool effects and cool visuals and cool tracking tools and all that stuff, red giant makes all of them and you get all that stuff. And even just like the cool filters and transitions and things like that from red giant universe. Um, you can get all of those for close to free. If you're a student, you have to prove that you're a student. Uh, but it's $2 and 99 cents for six months. And then you can renew every six months. So, uh, check that out. It's on Maxon's website, maxon.net. So yeah, two things that are exciting. You should check out. If you have any comments or questions, concerns, you want to tell us how wrong we are about development deals or development processes, workshopping, we would love to hear from you. Email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Just let us know what's happening with you. Jamie Sadler, one of our longtime listeners, been sending me a lot of messages on Instagram. I'm going to have a virtual coffee with him at some point. But anyway, uh, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you're doing. Follow us across all social media at justshootitpod. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at smiteypileg. On Instagram, I'm at okaplin. And I'm at Mr. Mavenlo. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Noah. And the music was provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.